electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. A friend of mine showed me, he was trying to put his house up for sale, you know, put a few pictures in it and asked him to write a copy for it. And it understood the architecture of the home. It looked at the furnishings. It definitely wrote a better copy than either of us could have. Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai on Google's AI chatbot Bard, now known as Gemini. I view 24 as our Gemini era. How Google does AI in search. I think we are the only ones who are doing it in a way where I think users are not only looking for AI summaries, AI answers, but they really care about the richness and the diversity that exists in the web. And the tools Google is rolling out to watermark artificial intelligence-generated images and video, Sundar Pichai says they're careful that these tools alone won't be enough. There is no way companies alone can solve this. You are going to need important laws to protect you know, against deep fakes. And you know, it's no different from spam or fraud in the financial sector or so on. Plus, how the CEO is thinking about AI's impact on all of us. Compared to any other technology, people are thinking about all of this at an earlier stage, partly because people realize the future potential of AI. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, February 8th, 2024, and a bonus episode of Squawk Pod with Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai begins right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today, we're bringing you a big interview with Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai. He sat down virtually with our own Andrew Ross Sorkin this week to unveil some major news. Google's AI chatbot, Bard, will now be known as Gemini. Andrew kicked off the interview with Pichai by asking, why the name change? Here's their conversation. For us, you know, Gemini is our approach overall in terms of how we are building our most capable and safe and responsible AI models. So it's the frontier of the technology we are pushing along. And BARD was the most direct way people could interact with our models. 
right? And, and so it made sense to just evolve it to be Gemini because you're actually talking directly to the underlying Gemini model when you use it. And I think it'll also be the way by which we will keep advancing our models and users can experience it uh, directly. And so we thought the name change made sense. You're also introducing Gemini Advanced. This is Google's answer to ChatGPT+. How does it stand apart? How does it compare in your mind? Well, Gemini Advanced has uh, access to uh, Ultra 1.0, which is our uh, most capable model till date. To me, look, I think it's exciting because for people who really are using these products uh, as a power user, a real collaborative partner, maybe in a professional context, maybe you're using it for coding, it just gives you more capabilities. It's particularly good at complex queries, multi-turn queries, it has very good workspace integration. Uh, it is built from the ground up to be natively multimodal. So when you attach images and query, it really shines. You can use the Gemini app on your phone and say, tell me more about what I'm seeing on my screen. So it's really capable along those dimensions. What's the biggest improvement that you think has been made? And was there a moment at which they brought you the latest model and there was some prompt you put into it and you said, okay, We've, we've done something here. You know, for me, it was really when, you, when you, you gave it a series of images, it really makes sense of it, right? It's almost understanding it as video and, and can answer questions related to that. So it kind of shows, because it's the first time natively in the training data, we included not just text, audio, images, video, code. And so that, that plays out in the model when you test it that way. So you know, it was kind of gives you a window into the future. Because as humans, what we the see the world like with the richness of information in front of us. And you know, so we are getting our models to behave in that same way. And I think that represents the future frontier. What was the biggest hurdle in terms of this, this upgrade cycle? Uh, you know, for us, honestly, it, is, it was a large model training it, testing it for safety, and being able to deploy it at scale. And, and, and doing that, we, today's, we are giving it to consumers. Uh, we'll share more details for developers and enterprises. And so bringing a model at scale, and we're also training our next versions of these models. And, and so I view 24 as our Gemini era, the beginning of our Gemini era. How, how are you using it? Uh, you've got an opportunity to be playing around with this stuff before all of us. So uh, are there any interesting use cases in, in, in the Pachai family household? Look, we've been having fun with it. Uh, you know, I definitely, I'm brushing up on my coding skills uh, a little bit here and there. Uh, an exciting use case, a friend of mine showed me, he was trying to put his house up for sale, you know, put a few pictures in it and asked it to write a copy for it. And it understood the architecture of the home, it looked at the furnishings, it definitely wrote a better copy than either of us could have. Uh, and when I find interesting things on my phone I'm looking at, you know, I just ask about it and it can, it can give me added information. So all of that has been really fascinating to see. You are very familiar with the competition with Microsoft having uh, built Chrome uh, many, many years ago, uh, which was in competition back in the day with Internet Explorer. I'm curious how you think this new upgrade changes the dynamic with which has been this new competition, really, with Microsoft all over again. Look, I, um, you know, on the consumer side, I think we are focused on evolving our products. You know, we are evolving search uh, with search generative experience. 
We are uh, giving access to Gemini to our users. Gemini is going to power a lot of our products, right? You're going to have Gemini for workspace in your Gmail, in your Google Docs. So I just view this as us pushing the boundaries of where we need to go. There's obviously a lot of competition in the tech space. Uh, you know, you're going to have Microsoft put products. We compete with them. Uh, you know, we are growing our cloud business. So it is a dynamic moment, uh, but you know, the, the best way to approach it is stay focused on what you can build uh, for your users. So that's how I think about it. What do you think of this, the search space itself? You have owned the search space for a very, very long time. And there is a question about how people are going to search for things in the future. Are they going to search for them using classic uh, Google? Are they going to use search or change what they're even looking for, how they're looking for it using uh, Gemini or ChatGPT or a uh, perplexity these days? I mean, they're, they're, they're new folks coming onto the scene. Look, we've always had moments in search like this. And to me, part of what has made search work well is we keep evolving search. You know, people, you know, people take it for granted, but we started answering questions in search with featured snippets. And we, we would use AI to extract the answer back in 2014, right? So we've constantly been evolving search. We are doing the same. You know, Gemini is in search as well. And, you know, so when it, if you opt into the search generative experience and we will be rolling it out to more and more people, you know, we give generative AI answers, but I think we are the only ones who are doing it in a way but I think users are not only looking for AI summaries, AI answers, but they really care about the richness and the diversity that exists in the web. And so they want to explore too. So I think our approach really prioritizes that balance. And you know, all the data we see shows that people value that experience. So people are using it. And, and we're also bringing Gemini and we'll give users a chance to go back and forth. We'll incorporate Gemini within search so I'm excited. I see this as an opportunity for search to solve newer use cases better than ever before. But is there, you know, the, it's always a moment of dynamism whenever you have platform shifts, no different than the web to mobile and mobile to AI now. And, uh, you know, to me, but there, there's it's a no moment of excitement. You, no, there's, there's no worry for you that says this is a transformational moment. You know, for the last, call it what, two decades, uh, search as we know it has been something that I've typically meant going to Google. And there's a question mark, I think, for folks for the first time in, in, in maybe two decades about whether search is now going to mean something else. You know, it's uh, through platform shifts. Yes, there are, you know, even through mobile, people asked us questions about it because you had apps on your phone. You could directly download and go directly to. But I think at the end of the day, you have to give value to users and people, and that's what we see in our data, right? People, people continue to come to Google, and they, you know, they do value. The thing that gives me a lot of optimism is when we test search generative experience. The feedback has been very positive, right? And you know, and and we've been testing it slowly. We are rolling it out to more people, so we know we are going to evolve the product in an exciting direction. And so, you know, that makes me very optimistic about what's ahead. Talking about what it, what's ahead when it comes to innovation, it feels like processing power and the capital to acquire that processing power uh, is a central component of wherever you think this goes next, especially for the large language models. Do you think small players can innovate in this space or will ever be able to innovate in this space? I definitely think so. I think the big thing that has changed is 
you know, many of us now provide these large scale infrastructure, right? So, you know, compared to when Google was built, you know, today if you're a startup, you get access. Remember, we are giving access to Gemini through cloud, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the same models, right? And, and, and so I think that really gives companies a chance to build amazing things on top of this infrastructure. So I think the next wave, if you're building a company today, you have access to technology and there's going to be open source as well. It's the combination of the two, uh, no different. The web enabled more companies to get created. Mobile enabled, you know, I don't see why we would ever think a profound technology advance won't allow for more innovation on the other side. And, and it's an opportunity for both the big players as well as I think small players. So we spoke with Alina Khan about a week ago and she of course uh, is launching an inquiry, um, really a study to look at the deal that both you and Meta made with Anthropic, as well as Microsoft's deal with OpenAI. These are not mergers, of course, uh, but partnerships, and whether these partnerships are going to ultimately benefit the incumbents. And, and that's why I asked the question whether if, you know, uh, the, 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 the Larry Pages or the Sergey Brins could sit in a garage today and come up with something that really could compete with Gemini, for example. Look, I mean, uh, look, first of all, uh, we welcome, uh, you know, we have taken, a, in, in fact, I think the way we have done these deals, like these deals don't give us exclusive access to their models. If anything, the way we have supported companies like Anthropic, you know, truly is we're giving them access to our cloud infrastructure and in a way that they can go build these models, ship them. Uh, and, and compete in the marketplace. So I think it's pro-competitive, uh, it's pro-innovation. Uh, and, you know, I, I would never underestimate the power of people, uh, you know, entrepreneurs being able to imagine the future. And I think you'll continue to see great innovation, including in AI. Uh, between the AI and, and the cloud growth uh, you've had and that infrastructure that you just talked about building, which, which so many people are allowed to use now uh, and, and innovate on top of, uh, recently, the Biden administration and the Department of Commerce specifically uh, proposed regulation to require cloud companies like yours, including yours, um, to uh, effectively cut off access uh, to data from, 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 from the Chinese and to disclose who, in terms of foreign actors, are on those platforms. How is that going to be something that you would enforce? And, and, and what is your thought about that? Obviously, with AI, some of these regulations are newer, right? And and so we are in direct consultation. Part of the reason, even with uh, Gemini Ultra, you know, we spent a, a few months testing it for safety. We gave access to people outside, outside researchers, and where needed, we'll comply, comply with, uh, with the directives. But I think it's definitely something that has to be done in consultation with the right regulatory agencies. But I think at Google, we are used to be GDPR in Europe or, you know, you know, complying with regulations. I think it's part of the competency we've built up over time uh, to make sure, uh, you know, we, we do the right thing from a regulatory standpoint. And I, I see this as new, no different. Right. If anything, as the frontier moves, I, I expect more, uh, more things like that. I think it's important to balance it with making sure people can innovate and make progress on what's a promising technology. So I think there's a balance to be had here, uh, but we are committed to taking a safe and responsible approach. 
How should we think, and I know we're walking to an election season and the like, about deep fakes. There was the deep fake of Taylor Swift just a couple of weeks ago that, uh, you know, was posted and then went around everywhere and went viral and then was taken down. Uh, there was a uh, voice call, robocall made in New Hampshire uh, with Biden's voice uh, telling voters don't go to the, the voting booth. I mean, how much of that kind of thing do you think we're going to be seeing uh, over the next, you know, 10 months or so? And how concerned should we be? And, and what can the technology companies do or not do? And, and to some degree, I'd even ask the question, who should be held responsible for some of that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the first set of when we talk about AI risks, the most important category which we will play out in the near term will be around deep fakes. I mean, you gave a few examples. I was just reading an example about where a company in Hong Kong, you know, somebody paid out $25 million because they impersonated the CFO, uh, you know, to get that money out. So I think it's a real issue. Part of the reason we've been cautious uh, in deploying uh, some of our work uh, is we want to put the right safeguards in place. So we launched Synthidy, a way to watermark uh, images as we generate them. But these are all early technologies. Uh, I think all of us have more work left to do. There is no way companies alone can solve this. You are going to need, you know, you're going to need important laws to protect, you know, against deep fakes. And, you know, it's no different from spam or fraud in the financial sector or so on. You're going to need more frameworks and it has to be a collaboration, I think, and we will have to evolve it. I think all of us are taking the responsibility seriously. This is a year in which almost one in three people around the world are going through an electoral process, right? Uh, not just in the US. Right. So I think it's been a big focus for us. And it's part of the reason as a, as a bigger company, we've been We've been doing the extra work to build in safeguards uh, as we ship these things. So I assume every day somebody's trying to trick Gemini into doing something it's not supposed to do. I know last week some folks were, I know, for example, Gemini is not supposed to uh, create images uh, of celebrities, of real people, for example. But there was an example where uh, somebody tricked it into creating a picture of Taylor Swift. Are these edge cases? Do you think this is an issue 12 months from now that you'll always be grappling with, that, that there's always going to be a way in? And is that because people don't fully understand the black box? Is that because there's just so many um, sort of guardrails you need to put up? How do you think about those things? Look, I think, it, I, I think it is a real serious issue. I think we need to all make progress on it. Um, today, you know, you're you're, you're figuring out trade-offs between the more you put safeguards, you're also reducing the model's capabilities, right? So these are inherently trade-offs. So you have to figure out a way to, to allow the model to have its capabilities while building in the right safeguards at the right moments. Uh, so there are, you know, and there is underlying research we need to do to actually watermark and detect all of this in a safe way. Right, and sorry, in a reliable way, in a consistent right. way. And so that is still an area of research. Uh, so I think, I think that's why you have to have balance in terms of how widely you deploy this technology, right? So there's definitely a balance to be had. But I think this is no different from uh, other moments. Uh, you know, I think the ingenuity of humanity is figuring out how to harness technology in a beneficial way. Right. And, it's got to involve companies, governments, nonprofits, et cetera. How do you think about uh, the governance 
of AI. And obviously, we saw it. Actually, I'd be very curious to know what you thought as you watched uh, the issues play out at OpenAI with Sam Altman around governance. Look, I think, you know, for sure, you're, I mean, governance, to me, that moment showed how important governance is. And, you know, I wish them well. And, uh, you know, it's an important company. But I think when you're deploying such important technology, I think it's important to have the right governance, uh, right governance. And over time, you know, as a society, we will grapple with how best to guide this technology. It will have implications for national security, as an example, right? So those are all trade-offs we are going to have to make. I think what is good about this moment is I think it's making, compared to any other technology, people are thinking about all of this at an earlier stage, partly because people realize the future potential of AI. So I think there's a lot of important conversations underway. I think the answers aren't fully clear, but I think, you know, we are making more progress than people think too. So that gives me optimism. Um, I want to talk about TV and sports for a second, just because the Super Bowl is coming up and there was a big deal uh, that was made uh, this week uh, in the sports TV world. Uh, you've been running YouTube TV quite successfully. And of course, YouTube itself is now bigger than Netflix, um, a fact that I think most people don't focus on. What do you think is going to happen to the, to the cable bundle? You've been part of sort of keeping that bundle through YouTube TV. What do you think about this new bundle that 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 um, that Disney is creating with with Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Fox? First of all, I mean these are uh, some of our important valued partners, both on YouTube and YouTube TV, and I expect our partnerships to continue. Look, I think people are responding to how users are consuming all of this, right? And users are voting with their feet. The consumption patterns are clearly evolving, and I think I think you're seeing. People adapt to that. Uh, so I'm excited to see what they put together. These are great organizations, and they are some of our valued partners too. As you said, YouTube TV has now over eight million subscribers, and you know we, the work we have done with NFL on Sunday Ticket has been super well received. And you know I'm excited for the Super Bowl as well. So, do, do you see yourself becoming a major bidder over time for sports? I think it's a great question. I think we will be ROI focused. So I think the answer, it depends. Uh, for us, the NFL Sunday ticket gives us a great way to work with a very, very good partner with very valuable content and, and, and see how it works. So far, it's been great. But I think we will have a, a disciplined ROI framework. We now have subscription products. We have advertising products. Some of this pulls through demand on the, our advertising products as well. So I think we'll evaluate it on a case-by-case -case basis. Right. Uh, culture question. Uh, you've been going through a number of layoffs. Uh, those of us who try to keep up with the company from the outside have been reading articles about some of the all-hands meetings and frustration that you're hearing from employees and the like. What's happening inside the company right now? Look, first of all, I mean, we see an extraordinary opportunity ahead, uh, given, given the shifts underway, and we are investing for that future. But I think it's important uh, we are able to create capacity with, from within. And so some of it is refocusing and reprioritizing within the company, uh, making sure we can make the investments we need. And we are really focused on improving velocity and execution as a company as well. You know, when it impacts people, it's hard, particularly for a company like Google, which over the past 25 years hasn't gone through a moment like this. But you know, we've always deeply cared about our employees. I don't think most companies engage with employees in the transparent way we do. And I think that, that, that creates some of this 
conversation outside, but I've always viewed it as a source of strength for the company. And, you know, we'll work through this moment. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about the opportunities we have ahead and the innovation we have ahead of us. What do you think Google looks like in five years from now? Look, I think, uh, I think part of what excites me as a company is for the first time we are working on, we've always been a deep technology-focused company at a foundation, but with Gemini and AI, it's the same technology which impacts search, YouTube, cloud, Waymo, and so on. So we can invest in this underlying technology and build both amazing products and businesses on top in a leveraged way. And, and we are investing for that future. So I'm excited about what's ahead. And if anything, I think it'll be a golden decade of innovation ahead at Google. And Andrew debriefed on that interview on CNBC's Squawk Box with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. I will say that it appears at least that when you look at Gemini Ultra, it is now uh, truly competitive, if not has leapfrogged some of the things that Jet GPT can do. Um, it is much better at facts, at things that are on the web now. So a lot of the things, obviously, when you play with ChatGPT, it's, it's using stuff from, from 2023 uh, and before. Some of that's picking it up using Bing and Microsoft, but this is at a whole other level. And the ability to take images, and I mean, I think his example uh, is remarkable, that you could take pictures of a house and you could take the floor plan of a house and send it into Gemini and it looks at the pictures, it looks at, and then writes description of what it sees better than any uh, real estate agent ever could. It's sort of a remarkable thing because it has nothing to do with text on text. It's actually taking the images, it's seeing, and by the way, this is not just true of, of, of pictures, it's actually true of documents. You can actually give it a document and it not just is summarizing the document, it could actually take one document, another document, and be able to pair things and be able to see uh, the distinctions between them and, and really make some incredible connections that I think human, even, you know, some very smart humans can do, but uh, just other humans maybe can't. All of these tech companies are ignoring the very real copyright infringement, the very real issues of deep fakes and using photos and, and being asked to do things that are deep fakes along those lines. I mean, Sundar, when you asked him about the Taylor Swift thing, right. said, Oh, if we were to put the limits to not allow it to do that, it would limit its abilities to do other things. And w last week, when you had Lester Holt talking to um, Satya Nadella about right. the copyright issues, he said, well, you know, we need to well, look, look at copyright differently I when think you're talking about a new emerging technology. What is the copyright protection, as well as what is fair use in a world where there is transformative new technology? Uh, I think that that's really where uh, the copyright laws uh, have to essentially now be interpreted for what is a new transformation technology. We have done this in the past. I'm sure we'll come out with, with the right set of guidelines on what is used for training. That's one thing. That's the transformation side of it. And of course, it's clear that you can't just use copyrighted material and regurgitate anything. Uh, and so those are two very distinct issues. I think we'll, you know, get, you know, the courts will opine on it, and I'm sure we'll come out. And in fact, if you look at you know, what Japan is doing and other countries are also doing, which is how to think about copyright in an enlightened way in such a, so that this new technology can be developed, in fact, new competitors can be introduced, while at the same time protecting copyright.
I think they're all crazy. Look, you, you know my These view on the These are real issues that need to go to you the You know courts. my view on the copyright issue. That's, that's, that's not a question. But they all sound question. the same. It's like, oh, we can, you can't ask us to do but, these but things because it's a say, new and emerging technology, so we need different rules, like on, Section 230. I will say on the deep fake issue, most people, 99.9999% of people, if I ask you to go create a deep fake on any of the services at this point, you could not. You, you genuinely could not do it. Somebody can, and they're no, no. using it to do it. No, somebody can, but what I'm saying is, the, the, not just the average person, but most people, some of the smartest people cannot. The, you, what you have to do is effectively genuinely trick the system, and it takes a lot, a lot of effort to trick the system. Um, and so I'm just saying, I'm just saying they are edge cases. That they are not worried about or not nearly worried enough when you. Oh, I, look, as I said, I think there are real issues. I'm not saying these people uh, have it all down. And I think one of the reasons you're hearing them, including as Sundar, and you're hearing it from Satya, and you're hearing it from Sam Altman say, you know, we do need regulation. They actually are saying that more so than any of these guys ever said that Here's about an idea. any Let's other just technology. Let's make you liable for anything that comes out. Like Again, it seems to me like they are all asking for some sort of Section 230 to be applied to AI. Don't give it to them. Be responsible for what happens I don't think, any, I don't think anyone's asking your, him to get a Section 230. That sure sounded what Satya was ask, asking for when he was making his case to Lester Holt. That's what my assumption was on it. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Thank you for listening to this bonus Squawk Pod. Please let us know what you think of the podcast. If you'd be so kind to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, maybe five stars, you can do it right on your phone. Or tweet us your thoughts at Squawk CNBC. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Hot off the press from Maybelline, New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP.